Hello, and welcome to episode 139 of Constructing Comics, a podcast building stories one page and one panel at a time. On this episode, we have an interview with Milton Lawson, comics creator. This is Matt, and I'm joined by my Constructing Comics co-host, Noah. Hey there. Milton, uh, thanks so much for coming back on the, the podcast. You were on episode 71, but for anybody who wasn't able to, to catch that podcast, please uh, give us a little brief bio about yourself and a little bit about the, the comics that you make. Hi, hi, and thanks for having me back. It's such a pleasure. I am uh, a comic book writer based out of Houston, Texas, and I tend to write kind of in two different modes. I do a lot of slice of life type stuff, but also science fiction. Those are my two main uh, venues there, I think. And um, I currently have a book in previews that's a sci-fi noir story that's awesome and can and uh i love the title of your of your uh of the interstellar detective um uh for your the the book that's in previews right now what was the inception of that idea uh because it looks like it's like a blend of like sort of philip k dick looking sort of sci-fi and then on top of that some noir thrown in yeah, those are definitely the sort of uh, genre mixes that are in play there. But there's also kind of an interesting backstory to how this character was created. I'm a member of the Comics Experience Workshop, and sometimes they have these like writing challenges that they give all the workshop members. And one month, the challenge of the month was to create a new character using a method that one of the pro members of the workshop had used before. And it's kind of a method to sort of kickstart ideas if you are, um, if you're kind of stuck and you're not really sure what you want to do. Um, and this, this creator had used this technique before. And basically what he does is he takes a real life person or a character from fiction that he knows really, really well, and then changes the context that they're in or combines them with some other element. And just through that juxtaposition, create a whole new character. So the example that this creator used was to take the, uh, the protagonist from Braveheart, uh, William Wallace, and turn him into a Star Trek starship captain. Huh. And then just immediately, just by putting those two totally different elements together, you got a brand new character and you could kind of imagine uh, just from that quick little pitch, the potential with that character. So the, the workshop challenge was, Hey, use that technique. So what I did was I took a real life person and put them in a sci-fi context. And that's where Thompson Heller was born. And Thompson Heller, uh, who do you mind me asking who the real person is there? Or is that something we have to read the book to find out? Oh no, I, I'm I'm perfectly willing to share uh, because I mean it's it's a it's a jumping off point. It's not an answer, okay. and I hope it doesn't. I hope it doesn't limit people's interpretations of it. But basically, at the time, I I happened to be reading a collection of essays by uh, Christopher Hitchens, um, the polemic uh, and witty um, journalist, and um, so I sort of had him on the brain, and then I thought, okay. One of my favorite comics of all time is Transmetropolitan by Warren Ellis. And the, the shorthand there was kind of put Hunter S. Thompson in a cyberpunk universe. 
Nice. So, so I said, okay, I'm going to put Christopher Hitchens in a, in some sort of sci-fi universe. And then from there, the notion of throwing in noir and detective sort of came into play. And then that's how it all came together. Very cool. Very, very cool. So with starting off, because I know there's like a lot of ways to, to start off a story. A lot of people start off with like a, a concept, uh, but on this case, you're, you're starting off with a, with a character or, you know, taking two characters or a character that we wouldn't normally see in a situation and put them in a situation, but there's a lot of world building that would come after that. So um, once you sort of had that character, what was in the in the situation that you wanted to put them in what were what were some of the uh the story pieces that fell into place next i think there were two key pieces the first one was just uh the exercise itself was just do an eight page short sort of a proof of concept and so um in that proof of concept i knew i wanted to try to hit the tone in the genre of noir and so that was very convenient for a short, you know, noir is often narrated by the private dick. So I've got the, I've got the narration captions going and that helps you get through a lot of material quickly in a, in a short. Mm -hmm. So that sort of set the tone and the vibe. Um, but then when the opportunity came about to expand it into a mini series, I, I had to really think again, and um, I had an outline that was kind of a quest story, and um, it just wasn't quite there yet. It, was, it, it had a lot of really cool elements to it, um, but there wasn't a lot of um, character truth and emotional arc happening. And one of my uh, trusted uh, readers and be uh, best friends in comics, the writer Rick Quinn, he made a suggestion to me to alter one of the characters and that immediately created the emotional arc, which is in the, in this three issue miniseries, we've got um, three one and done cases as far as like the pure plot goes. Mm -hmm. But over the course of the three arc, there's a relationship dynamic and the relationship is that Thompson Heller is known throughout the galaxy as a renowned skeptic and atheist, but he kind of seems to be falling in love with a high-ranking religious academic. So the relationship between Thompson and this religious academic develops over the course of the full three issues of the miniseries. And so that was the real eye-opening moment after I had set the sort of tone and the genre, like, okay, now within that space, how, how can I develop these characters and emotions? Awesome. So with this being uh, something, and you, you talked about this earlier, that uh, this is something that you, um, some of the basis of the idea was the, the character challenge, the, the writing challenge that was put forth in Comics Experience. Is this one of the, the projects in Comics Experience that's, that's workshopped and you, you put it up for you know, peer review and stuff like that? Yeah, yeah. Um, the very first short was put up for peer review, and all three of the individual issues were put up for peer review. And um, I was very fortunate to not only get peer reviews, but some of the comics professionals who lurk in the forum mm -hmm. also weighed in on several of the different 
iterations and there were multiple drafts and all three of them were a totally different journey, um, which was kind of surprising. And um, the feedback from peers and pros um, really helped forge a better story. Very cool. Is that um, something that's, I'm sorry, Matt, go ahead. No, no, please, no, go ahead. I was going to ask, is that something that's important to you and your creative? Uh, I guess a better question is, has that been something that's been important to you when you're writing is to have those peer reviews, is to have someone else look at your script? Yes, that's been a, a crucial element in my evolution um, up till, till fairly recently. Um, and uh, at first in the workshop, I... Uh, part of the part of the skills that you learn in the workshop is not only uh, having a thick skin and being able to take uh, uh, you know harsh notes if if you do a bad job or at least in the person of that uh, the person that reviews it if that's their opinion um, but also eventually once you go through that process a number of times you then start learning how to discriminate on notes because when I first started out I had a tendency to want to want to please everybody mm. and feel that every single note I received was 100% valid and needed addressing and then over time you start to learn how to differentiate between notes that are definitely genuinely in the right groove mm -hmm. to be constructive and help you build and improve and then there are others that are just kind of like, well, this thing might just not be for them, you know? Yeah. And so um, I think I finally got a good sense of that. And I've been very fortunate to uh, ally with a, a handful of super trusted individuals that um, I, I kind of, instead of putting things up for just random folks in the workshop to review, I've, I kind of send out one-to-one -one with uh, specific members now and um i'm supposed to return the favor but i'm not as good as they are i'm i'm certainly benefiting more than they are because i i tend to just focus on the positive things um whereas they uh can give me the brutal truth when i mess up and i lord knows i have messed up plenty of times and uh and they don't shy away from telling me that. And, and it definitely helps. I hear you there. I'm, I, I love complimenting people. So yeah, if I, if I become overly complimentary, it's not disingenuous. I just don't know how to say anything bad about people most of the time. Um, the, the, so for, for picking up that skill of knowing what to, I guess, take to heart and what to sort of just sort of addresses, less just their opinion, was there a crucial moment for you or, or, or a piece of knowledge that like made you realize what, what the, how to distinguish those two things? Or was that just something that, that came about over time? It was a little bit of both. There was definitely a transition moment. And the funny thing is, is I can't remember the exact note or the exact script or the exact project that this occurred on, but there was a transitional moment where I, I sort of, realized you know this person is smart and i trust them and they've got great opinions on a lot of other things but i 
me. Yeah. And, and it, it took a lot of confidence building and years of effort to get to that point because I can imagine that, you know, some people they, that might be their default mode to begin with. And, you know, maybe I envy those kind of folks. Um, but it was useful for me to kind of go through uh, a journey and, and, a, and a, and a sort of uh, cumulative uh, process to, to arrive at that decision. That makes a lot of sense. So when, uh, Sticking with the sort of the, the peer review and the, the, the putting the, the, the work up for review, um, are you putting and uh, are you putting up like uh, scenes at a time? Or are you putting up like whole issues at a time? Um, so how so how are you handling that? It's usually whole issues, and I tend to be on the far edge of the norms as far as the amount of description I put in panels. Um, I, I envy the folks that can be a lot more concise than I am. And the, <coughs> excuse me, the, the exact uh, comic script writing software I use, um, I use uh, the Anthony Johnson trip, uh, template from uh, Scrivener. Okay. So the nice. combination of that format and just my propensity to just kind of wax on sometimes makes it a really heavy page count. <laughs> so I'm truly in debt of the people that invest the time to go through one of my scripts. Like the script for Heller number three printed out was a, a, a just an outrageous uh, page count number. But one of the professionals in the workshop went through it and gave me the appropriate notes. And I was super thankful for that. That's awesome. Is that so, just um, is that just something where you have a very vivid imagination, you know, like that's just sort of something that that comes through. Is that the kind of details you put in, or are you putting like camera angles, uh, you know, descriptions of facial, you know, expressions and acting directions? Uh, what is what is the what are the details that fill those scripts? I'm glad you asked that question because, in my own defense. I do think that I, I, I'm very good about avoiding the kind of things that um, sometimes novice uh, first-time writers, and I was one of them when I first did it, in, in trying to be controlling of, of certain aspects of like camera angles and those sorts of things, and trying to, you know, to, to direct the artist. Um, every once in a while, there's, there's an occasion to actually call out for something if you have something specific. But in general, especially when I write science fiction, the way that my mind works on inventing things, like once I invent one idea in a moment, I have to sort of justify the science behind it to myself. Okay. Like, okay, if this thing exists, then why does that thing exist? And then there's like these concentric circles that keep building and building and building to where, you know, the, the way that you described the the loading mechanism on a laser gun suddenly infers like a freaking economic system and you know i can get way too out of hand sometimes uh and i'm trying to find that happy medium and i'm getting close i don't think i'm there yet but i'm getting close sounds like some alan moore kind of stuff that you got going. i'm not i'm not that crazy i'm okay <laughs> you don't worship a dragon or anything <laughs> Maybe I should. Maybe I should. Maybe you should. Hey, it works for I, him. 
I, I definitely worship Alan Moore. That's for sure. Dang straight. Wouldn't want you on the podcast if you didn't. Uh, so when you, when you sat down to sort of do this, um, and did it, did you sort of envision it being a three issue series or they just sort of like you, you, you outline basically, you know, your, your initial start point to where you wanted to take it. And then that it just sort of lend itself to the three issues. So how did the three issues come about? That's an interesting question because the answer was actually not necessarily a creative choice as much as it was a um, market and economics choice. Um, you know, all of the independent publishers uh, in the past five years that I've been pitching projects to them, every quarter it seems like there's a new opinion in the industry as far as like what the sweet spot is to to make a good uh, miniseries. Some people say three, four, five, whatever. And it just so happened at the moment that I was pitching, um, the kind of argument was between three and four. And I had two totally different stories, one that was a four issue arc and one that was a three issue arc. And once we decided the economic sense uh, made, uh, it was a lot clearer in favor of the three issue arc, that was the ultimate path. However, um, the relationship romance angle that I referred to uh, previously, the genesis for that was in the four issue version um, so I kind of ganked that one from that, moved it over into the three issue and uh, sort of rebuilt that outline once that decision was in place. And these uh, these uh, issues are about, uh, am I right? They're about 24, 26 pages long. So they're a little bit longer than your traditional DC or Marvel book. So even though that's a three issue series, um, if you kind of think about it with an extended page count, you you might be right around the same amount of, of story that somebody might be able to get done in, uh, you know, a, a traditional 20 page, uh, four issue series, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, some of them are 24. I think one of them is even maybe 26 or 28. So we definitely push the limit a little bit on the page count front. So and, I'm sorry. sorry, go ahead. No, please. I was going to ask then, um, is that something that SourcePoint gives you sort of a, a choice about, like, you know, page count? Or is that something you and the artist can work together on? Or is that something that all, all of SourcePoint, that's just sort of a, a standard for their books? Thankfully, at the moment that I was pitching, they're, they're very flexible. Okay. I, I, I can't guarantee that that's still the status quo. I think it is. I think they prefer to have things the length that uh, the creators feel they should be. Um, and uh, I'm very fortunate that they were able to indulge me on that. Especially, I was, I was very worried about um, issue three because issue three, I kind of consider, I'm very proud of issue three, but it, it has it has the longest page count. It's either 26 or 28 pages. And I was worried that they were going to scoff at that. And if they did, I genuinely had no, I had no idea how to cut it down. Mm. I, I, I really felt that every page, every panel needed to be there. Thankfully, they didn't give me any trouble. 
That's that's good news. Uh, so, how did the the art team come together on on this book? Yeah, that's also a kind of an interesting story because there was originally a beta version of Thompson Heller that was pitched to another publisher and um, had a different artist on it, and ultimately things just didn't work out for that version, and so I had to rethink reboot and ultimately at the moment I was uh, faced with that choice it felt like a enormous setback to to the project and and my you know my overall career plans um, but thankfully it turned out to be the best thing for the project because when I was able to revisit the idea of finding an artist I was able to get uh, Dave Chisholm who is a brilliant artist and I, I did have the uh, good fortune of working with him a little bit previously in the past so we had already had a little bit of a relationship and then once this uh, moment came available he, he had a slot available in his schedule and now fast forward to the year 2020 that dude is having an amazing year I think he's going to have multiple books uh, in the argument for top 10 lists. And I really think his upcoming book, uh, Chasing the Bird, uh, Charlie Parker in California, I think it's going to be in people's conversations on the Eisners. Wow. So I'm just, I'm, I'm lucky as heck to be associated with him at the moment. Uh, Cause this turned out to be a year where he had multiple different projects come out in the same year, even though they were done different times. Um, so um, I didn't really answer your question though. How I found him was um, through the artist, Walter Ostley. I had been following a lot of his posts on DeviantArt and I thought this dude had amazing taste and he was a, you know, he's a great artist in and of himself. And he kept promoting Dave Chisholm's work. And that's how I found Dave. Very cool. And then did Fabian um, Kobos, did he come with Dave or was that someone you had worked before with previously as well? I just posted an ad looking for a colorist and he's the sort of secret uh, uh, sauce in this whole thing. Yeah. Um, I, um, I don't think I know a lot of people know about him yet. And if anyone is looking for a colorist and they happen to see Thompson Heller, they're going to want to hire that dude because he, totally. he just, he just went above and beyond on this project. Yeah. No kidding. It's like, that was what sort of when I, when I saw the posts on social media, that was what stood out to me. And I mean, the, the line art and the colors just meshed perfectly and uh, it, it works with the story as well. So one thing, uh, staying with the art, one thing that I found really, really cool was it, it had the, 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 the fantastical sort of science elements of it. It had like that lived in sort of dirty feeling like you mm -hmm. sometimes have like a, like in a Star Wars, uh, you know, scenario. It's not like that, that crisp, clean, you know, bridge of the, the, the Star Trek Enterprise. This stuff looks, you know, a lot of these locations, a lot of these, 
vehicles they're in they 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 look dirty they look you some of them look you know like they're barely hanging on you know lots of repairs and stuff like that so was with your detailed descriptions was was that uh you or or dave or a combination of of the two i i think i i would hope it's a little bit of a combination in the sense that the the aesthetic i was going for in terms of the character um, and I don't know if I explicitly mentioned this to Dave or not, but, um, you know, I was inspired by the lovable, uh, Jim Rockford of the Rockford Files mm -hmm. and yeah. Elliot Gould's Marlowe from The Long Goodbye, just real rough and tumble private detectives. And, um, in the initial character description, I do, uh, give some, uh, hints at uh that being central to his world but i think uh i didn't necessarily in any of the panels or descriptions specifically say you know make the environment look used uh make it feel lived in i th i i think that that just came through on the tone mm -hmm. and i was lucky as heck that that resonated with dave and he took it you know to the nth degree yeah, uh, Dave's also got a very um, Mobius style too with his lines. Like he's got a great texture to everything and you can tell like he's, uh, you know, he doesn't just sort of rush these out, you know. He seems very deliberate with how he places his lines on the board and everything. And then I think the, the, the colors really complement that sort of almost French uh, sci-fi comic feel as well. Was that a discussion you guys had early on? That was another fortunate um, contribution by the writer Rick Quinn. Okay. Because I was trolling through portfolios of colorists and I was really keen on this one person who had a kind of gunmetal blue uh, aesthetic going in one of their sci-fi projects. And that there was something about, I think there was maybe a watercolor aspect to his technique that I really liked. And I was, I was mentioning this person and Rick told me, no, 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 that's the wrong direction here. Wow. And, and, and he, he didn't want to exactly articulate what he said. So he actually went and created a color palette and sort of loosely colored uh, one of the first couple of pages wow. just as, just as a sort of proof of concept and it blew my mind. And I thought, okay, yes, this is the creative brief for this project. And I sent that along to Fabian and he took that inspiration and just zoomed on with it um, and took it to, you know, uh, it's extreme, especially as the story goes on. That's so cool. That's a good, that's a good friend there. You got uh, the writer friend that you got there. That would do that. Yeah. He's, I, he's not technically listed as an editor, but he's essentially an editor on this project. That is so cool. <laughs> no, I'm glad you brought up Mobius. Cause I definitely, I definitely got the feel, you know, uh, the, the way we're introduced to uh, the, the main character, you know, there's a lot of sort of, uh, that that Mobius uh, organic looking sort of machinery that's that he's hooked into, and I'm yeah. even thinking about there's one part where uh, 
the 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 ship that they're in is very much like a, like an ocean vessel that's that's floating through the through, that's able to to float through the sky and there's a they're they're attacked by these creatures that you know we would associate with with the ocean as well and it just sort of it just sort of felt like all of those Mobius sort of cartoons or not cartoons excuse me comics where they you know you just there's a lot of like soaring and, and floating and I I really got that and those are the two scenes that really popped to my mind when when I'm thinking about it right now. Yeah, it looks like something you would read in heavy metal. It looks it look, like and that's a compliment. Not yeah. <laughs> It's a very cool looking book. Well, and thank you. I, I enjoy uh, collecting compliments here. <laughs> yeah, no, no problem. Uh, so uh, I think another cool thing, and you, you hinted at this before, is that you do sort of that the, the tricky thing where each story of the three is a standalone crime story that's, that's solved, but all three of them together work for that that narrative of of the three issues um is that something that if this series continues you you, uh you want to do or you know after this is there a way that you might sort of want to to expand the stories or because it's a little bit like that x-files like you know that the 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 episodes are like a done in one but there's this overarching narrative of all of these themes that's sort of like come in here and there is is that what uh you were trying to do there yeah and i one of the things i like about the the project is um i think it's flexible enough to accordion up and down to uh a lot of different lengths um i could tell the full story uh that that I think is in the potential of the universe here in maybe a total of six or seven issues. Um, but I would love the opportunity to expand even further, have more cases, um, and um, to sort of hint at that a little bit, one thing we're hoping to do is after the three issue miniseries is done, whenever it comes time to collect a trade, um, we might pepper in a couple or three uh, little short stories um, that are also kind of done in one little moments. Um, but uh, it would be fantastic if we could follow it up with a second miniseries and develop the longer arcs even more. Nice. Uh, so uh, I, were there any, uh, I, I know that uh, you have a, a love of, of, of classic cinema um, in, in, in Orson Welles, and we're going to talk about that for, for a little bit, but was there any sort of movies that you would have went back and you would have maybe had on in the background or watched to help you sort of get into the mood of writing the, uh, you know, the noir detective? Yeah, um, I really love there are kind of three godfathers of thompson heller from like the world of film and television and they are uh like i mentioned earlier um elliot gould's philip marlowe from the long goodbye i could uh, you know i just love that movie to death um and also uh the maltese falcon hint uh humphrey bogart's uh marlowe as well 
and um oh wait is that not a marlo i don't think that's a marlo one i can't remember um and then the third one would just be the rockford files Mm -hmm. tv show um and and i've consumed a lot of those and so i i felt like they informed the character and the plots but when i'm actually in writing mode um i have uh a uh, a playlist for Thompson Heller and I guess maybe I can publish that online when the when the first issue comes out uh, maybe cool. I'll put it on Spotify or Apple Music yeah. um, and um, I, there's a, a streaming music provider called Soma FM mm-hmm. and and they have a channel called Secret Agent and oh, wow. it's a lot of like electronic themed but sort of like James Bondy spy type music. And I felt that that really set the tone for, for Thompson Heller. Is that uh, instrumental music or is it music with lyrics? It's mostly instrumental. There, okay. there might be occasional lyrics here and there, but mostly it's instrumental. Now, do you find trying to write uh, songs if you're listening, do you, do you, do you have an issue? Like if, if lyrics are there, do they sort of pull you out of the headspace of, of creation or, or are you able to just sort of uh, zone that out? Uh, it's kind of a little bit of both. Uh, if it's a song that I know really well and fits the mood of the moment that I'm working on really well, it kind of, it can kind of become fuel Okay. Uh, that helps me out. And, it, and if it has lyrics that, that doesn't get in the way, but if I'm struggling, um, if it's a scene that I haven't quite worked out all the problems on and um, it's something that sort of randomly shuffled into my, uh, my listening, uh, if it has lyrics, then sometimes I'll, I'll skip and, and, and move over to the, you know, ambient and electronic only. Very cool. Yeah, I personally, for myself, I uh, I I tend to mostly listen to instrumental music when 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 I'm writing, and uh, it would when the when like if it's a ad sponsored you know music service when the when the it breaks and the the commercial comes on, I'm like, oh, I'm out of my flow. So yeah, I know oh, what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, well, I I really enjoyed the 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 issues you you provided uh, a, a preview. Uh, so these are in previews uh, a preview to us, but these are in previews the the magazine now, correct? Yes. And so that uh, they'll they're going to shops uh, the end of August. The I'm sorry, end of October, October twenty eighth. Is that the uh, uh, is that the release date for, for that issue is one? The, that's the release date and. As we all know, comics sometimes bumps things up or down a week or two. So by the time October comes around, that, that number may change. But at the moment, October 28th is the plan. And so is the hope that uh, the, and then once we get into November, issue two hits around uh, the end of November as, as well? Um, or is that sort of all in, in play right now? No, no. Yes, that is the plan. It, it should come out on a monthly basis. Um, all of the issues are completely finished, so there's no worry of like falling behind or on a schedule or anything. So we've we've got everything in the pipeline ready to go. Very cool. Uh, and 
that being close to the the first issue being close to uh, Halloween, I know that you know it's it's not a horror themed book. I mean, there's certainly you know sci-fi you know action and stuff like that. But um, do you know if in this? I'm not sure if anybody knows this at this point, uh, but sometimes around Halloween they do sort of almost like a, a mini free comic book day. Do you know if, if that's going to be the case again this year or anything like that? I don't have any specific knowledge, but my guess would be the chances of that this year might be less than usual because in addition to all of the uh, difficulties with the pandemic and social distance, uh, social distancing and lockdowns and everything that we all know about um, there's the added chaos of the fact that the distribution uh, systems mm -hmm. that feed the local comic shops are kind of in flux. Um, and that is a f obviously affecting the big two, but it's also kind of opened up an opportunity for smaller publishers to introduce some other angles as well. And so I, th I think with all of those new systems in place, retailers might be uh, hesitant to do that this year. But I, I honestly don't know. Yeah, I, once I asked the question, I, I realized that probably uh, none of us really know. And, the, and also the, the way that Free Comic Book Day shifted back in, in time frame and it's, you know, I, I, it's been like limited releases through this month. Who, who, who knows what's going what's gonna to happen, you know, three months from, from now. We're all just sort of trying to make the, make the, the best of the situation as we can. Um, yeah. I have so is does is Dave's art uh, style is he traditional is he drawing pen and ink on on paper or is he is he digital? He's uh, mostly traditional. I think he does a few little tricks every now and then uh, in uh, digital, but the majority of his work is traditional work. And so, did you get did are you getting any any pages from 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 this comic to uh, hang up on your wall? I did get a um, big uh, original piece of page one, panel one. Mm -hmm. um, There's kind of a funny story on that one. Um, page one, panel one, uh, I asked for so much, he had to change his process and just make a standalone piece of it and then scan it and shrink it down oh, to wow. make it into a panel. Um, because, and I just felt, you know, it was kind of important to set the tone in the first panel. Um, so uh, that's sort of where that came from. So I've got that one hanging up uh, for sure. Nice. Um, and so uh, you also, the last time you were on, um, you, you told us a little bit about the, another project that you were working on, which is something that's very near and dear to your heart. Um, anybody who follows you online can see that your handles um, you know, show that you're, you're a big, uh, Orson Welles fan. Um, so, um, you know, I, I know that we, we had some, we, we talked about this a little bit off mic and there's some stuff that, uh, we're, we're not going to go into, but, uh, what can you tell us, um, about the, the, the Orson Welles project that you, you were working on before? Well, the things I can tell you now for an update is that originally, uh, we were going to do a Kickstarter and uh, have multiple artists contribute uh, on different chapters uh, to uh, create a trade paperback version. 
And ultimately what we decided to do, um, we attracted the interest of publisher uh, Scout Comics and they kind of felt like it would probably be easier to market and make a little more sense if we could just have the whole book be with one artist. Mm -hmm. And so the artist who had already done the most amount of work and proof of concept for the project agreed to sign on. And that is the uber talented Eric Whalen. And so Eric is studiously at work now, uh, having his workload changed from one chapter to eight chapters. Um, and so he has been delivering just phenomenal work that I, I, I'm so eager to share with people. And it's kind of the hardest thing to do in comics to, to just not share every page once <laughs> it's ready, especially the really cool ones. Um, but um, I would say like from an art uh, production standpoint, we're probably about like a third or 40% of the way through the first volume. And um, we're hoping to have the, uh, the first trade next year, 2021. And the, um, the format that it's going to be released on is part of Scout Comics's nonstop uh, distribution method. And I don't know if you're familiar with it, but basically the idea there is they put out the first introductory chapter or issue as a standalone floppy. And then if you like it, three months down the road, the full trade comes out. So that's what our plan is for Orson Welles, Warrior of the Worlds. Yeah, I, um, you know, you, you were able to, to share some of that and we, and we talked a lot about that on the, the last time you were on. Uh, so that was sort of like uh, your, um, your, your action adventure with uh, historical figures. And this is your, your, your action adventure detective in space. Um, are there any other uh, story genres you want to take on? Any ideas that are sort of either, you know, committed to paper a little bit, outlined a little bit, or, or, or in your head that you're, you're, you're formulating? Yeah, I've got um, sort of three projects lined up for uh, 2021 and 2022. Um I don't know if all three of them are going to come to fruition, but I hope they do. Uh, one of them is a another mystery genre, um, contemporary setting, maybe a little bit near future, uh, with a um, um, oh gosh, I I'm, I'm I'm struggling to say and not say what it is. Oh, so no, let me just okay. say let me just call that one a, a mystery project. Then I have another one that I am co-writing with a friend that I um, re reconnected with during the pandemic. Um, and he, the project there is kind of historical fiction, uh, early 19th century stuff, uh, early 19th century espionage uh, historical work. Um, and then in 2022, I have a massive epic that I kind of 
am sort of building my whole karmics career towards that I'm super anxious to get out in the world. And it's a sports story. And um, sports is hard to do in comics. Yeah. And it's not, it's not very popular domestically. But there is a huge market for sports manga in Japan. Yeah. And I think they have proven that the genre can succeed, at least creatively. And it will be my task to convince people that it can succeed uh, commercially as well. And I think I've got the right premise for it. And um, uh, I'm hoping to bring people along on this, on this crazy notion, but I can't really talk too much about it yet. Um, it's, it's, it's the one that's furthest off on the horizon, but uh, I'm very eager to share that with the world when it's ready. That'd be very cool. Can you say, you can't really say what sport it is or, no. <laughs> okay. Great. So now um, I'm just going to guess it's curling. <laughs> yeah, let's just call it the secret curling project for the now. Secret curling project. It's a working title. Yeah. Um, so uh, do you have like a, like a daily writing practice? Do you, do you like to, uh, do you like to try to sit down at the same time every day in the same spot? Or do you sort of, you know, you might be on the go and an, and an idea comes to you and you either jot it down in your phone or in a notebook. How, how does that work for you? Well, at the moment, uh, 2020 has been a massive disruption because my routine prior to this was to every day go to the coffee shop and spend a few hours at the coffee shop and work on whatever needed to be working on on the projects and um this year with the the lockdown um, i live in houston texas and we're not necessarily handling it all that well in case you haven't seen so it's a it's a very hot spot kind of place in the world right now um and so um most of the coffee shops are closed mm-hmm. um and so I've been adapting to that and there've been positive and negative benefits to that. The, the positive benefit is I've cut down my carb count quite a lot. So yeah. thank you COVID for that. Uh, <laughs> that's the, that's the only positive. Um, the other positive is that um, I kind of had to consciously uh, schedule larger blocks um, because I haven't been able to keep on the consistent daily basis as much. So, um, I've had to, I've had to adapt to a new workflow and right now I'm doing a lot of promotional outreach stuff to retailers and that's cutting into writing time. Thankfully, I, I, I just recently caught up a lot on work I needed to do for the Orson Welles project one of the chapters in that book was killing me and I couldn't get other things done until that one was solved because it, it was one of those chapters that connects to everything else. Um, and once I finally got that beast slain, it allowed me to get, I'm way, way ahead now. Okay. So I've, I've got a little bit of time to work on promotional and outreach stuff. And then, um, uh, come September, I'll be back in the sort of hopefully quote unquote daily mode. 
And then do you like, are you someone that likes to have like things written in a notebook first and then take it to the the computer or are you all just sort of, you know, you just sit down, start typing on a computer? I tend, I mean, sometimes there are scenes that happen either way, but what I tend to do, I've, I've kind of developed this new process. Um, Originally I stole Cullen Bunn's process uh, he has this amazing blog post where he talks about how he writes comics and it was the most eye-opening frank and detailed process insight I ever saw. So I, I just stole it. I'm like, all right, I'm gonna do that. And, yeah. and I, ad- I adapted it to be a little more digital because he, he, um, he k- keeps moleskin notebooks for a key part of his process uh, so I did that for a while, but over time, I've sort of adapted into a fully digital iterative approach, and um, I'll outline things in a in a note file. Um, like if I've got a major, like if I've got a whole issue, I'll try to hit the major scenes, roughly estimate how many pages I think they're going to take and use that as sort of my master spine. I don't necessarily always have that. Mm-hmm. I might just have like a piece and that piece could be anywhere. It could be in the beginning, middle or end. Um, but now what I've started doing is after I've done that, I, I get into my scripting program and I, I do a panel breakdown and I just give myself the quickest little shorthand to let myself know what's supposed to happen in that panel. And it might be some dialogue. It might be description. Um, it might be so unreadable. It would be like, Hey, he does the thing here. And only I would understand that. Uh, and every once in a while I kind of mess myself up. Uh, if, if, if several days go past and I revisit, I'm like, what the heck was I thinking? Uh, but then once I've got the panel breakdown, then I go back. Um, you know, I, tr- I try to get, scenes clumped together uh, so that I've got a good set of scenes that have the panel breakdowns and then I'll go in I'll flesh out the descriptions and the dialogue and that'll be my first draft that sounds awesome so um, is it do you feel like uh, it's one of those things and I feel like it's almost and I don't know if I have this quote right but like yeah, I think there's like a Neil Gaiman quote that's subject to the fact that like you know a bad first draft is is what you need and like the world doesn't need to see it but you could always sort of improve upon it and I'm not saying that your first draft is bad but it's 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 sort of like an initial pass you know sort of getting the thoughts down getting the getting the the mood down, maybe a few actions down, and then, um, you know, maybe letting it sit for 24 hours and then, you know, coming back to it and going, okay, that's what I was trying to do there. I didn't quite get it, but now that I, I see it with fresh eyes a day later, two days later, I can clean this up and, and make it go um, how it should. Is, 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 is that what that, that first draft is? Yeah, and, and I would almost consider my panel breakdown almost that first draft because um the types of problems that i need to solve often that that come to mind after you've had that two or three day you know gap and you can come back with fresh eyes most of those kind of problems are evident Mm -hmm. even in the panel breakdown stage to me 
So I, I can sort of cheat to where my actual first draft is a little closer to a second draft. And so when I put all that effort into that version, there's a chance I might be able to keep a good chunk of that. Um, but that's not always the case. <laughs> Very cool. Well, uh, Milton, I had an excellent time having you you back on the the podcast. I'm really Me excited for, for, for this book. Um, um, Noah, do you have any, any questions as we wrap up here? Um, not too much. I'm, I'm excited to have you back on for your other projects, uh, especially the sports, the sports comic. Cause like you said, that's something that's very, that's sort of un, uh, unexplored territory in comics, especially American Western comics. So I'm very excited to see what you bring to the table there. I'm excited to have you back on for that and all your future projects to talk or process and how we decide to choose artists. And, um, I'm really excited to order the, the, uh, interstellar detective on, on uh, previews. I'm going to do that right after this is over and can't wait to get my physical copy in October. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate that. So that would be, that would be a good segue for you, Milton, um, to do a sort of elevator pitch for, for this book, for, to, to just for anybody listening, that's, that's thinking about ordering, ordering the book as Noah's going to do. Uh, can you give us a, a quick uh, elevator pitch on the way out? Sure. Uh, Thompson Heller, Detective Interstellar, is a three-issue miniseries publishing by Source Point Press and Comics Experience Publishing. And it is about a private detective who travels the stars solving cases, and he specializes in cases that have some sort of political or moral intrigue to them. Mm -hmm. And he's known throughout the galaxy as a skeptic or atheist, and it just so happens that the woman he's falling in love with is a religious academic. Very cool. So uh, I think uh, it, it's probably best for folks to, to go to their LCS with, with the title of the book and, and tell, the, tell, the, tell their shop to, to order the book. I know that there's previews codes and, and stuff like that, but I feel like most, uh, most comic fans would just sort of either you know, our, our LCSs sort of have a pull system or we just sort of go in and say, hey, this is the thing I want. I'm, I'm going to be back here in three months uh, for it. So that would probably be the best way to do it, right? Yeah, yeah. They, they should be able to find it. Just uh, Thompson Heller. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah, I will definitely um, put a link in the, in the show notes for, for anybody who wants to sort of link and, and click to the previews code. Um, can you let people know where they can follow you online to, to stay up to date with this and, and some more of your projects that will be coming out? Sure. I'm on Twitter under the handle at Citizen Milton. I, I also have a personal website, miltonlawson.com. And on there you can sign up. Um, I've recently sort of relaunched an email newsletter that's not just about whatever I'm working on. I'm trying to sort of be a, a entertainment reporter uh, conduit. Uh, it's called Milton's Comics and Culture Radar. And if you just go to miltonlawson.com, you can subscribe to it. And it's usually just a weekly thing about like, hey, these are the cool things that I either watched or read. Uh, and then if I have something going on with one of my projects, I'll, I'll put a note at the end. Yeah, very cool. I got, uh, was it today that the, the letter came out? I, I got that. It was a, the, the email letter. I, it was, it was, it was a very good one. I enjoyed that one. So I would encourage anybody listening to make sure they, they sign up for that one. 
Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Just had a new issue come out today. Yeah, it was it was very good. Uh, awesome. Well, uh, thanks uh, thanks for being on. Um, this is uh, you know it, it was great catching up with you and, and hearing hearing about this. Um, and you have an open invite anytime you'd like to to come back talk about more more issues of of this series or um, any anything else. Uh, that uh, twenty twenty is it twenty twenty two where we get to talk about the the sports manga. I hope so. I hope so. And then uh, maybe 2021, the one that I really couldn't articulate very well might, might exist by then as well. <laughs> okay. No, so, we, 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 you, you piqued our interest. So you you definitely yeah. got to come back on to, to talk about that. Yeah, one, no so. take backsies. <laughs> back. Awesome. Well, well, thanks. Um, for anybody listening, if you could give us a rating and review on whatever podcasting service you use, we really appreciate it. Um, if you could, if you want to follow the podcast, we are on Twitter at ConstructComPod. We are on Instagram, Constructing Comics Pod. Uh, Facebook and YouTube is Constructing Comics. Uh, we'll be back uh, very soon with another issue. Um, if you want to and you want to see a little bit of a, a project Noah and I are working on, uh, check out the Dino Thrashers uh, Instagram account. Uh, there'll, be, there'll be more news there soon. Um, everybody, thanks for listening. Please be safe, uh, be nice to each other, and go out there and make some art and make some comics. <laughs>